Welcome back. Um, it's Adrian. You already know. That's that voice you heard for 15 minutes straight. But um, we're back with another episode. Thank you guys again. I haven't even... I've only posted that first episode and I've already got people who uh, somehow followed me already on Instagram. So thank you to those uh, few who have because it's quite strange when your Instagram stalked. And yeah, but thank you. So hopefully I can get more of you guys because that's going to be awesome. So only going to go up from there, but we're going to be here discussing a couple of things. Uh, the first thing, as promised in that intro episode, we're going to do a couple of top lists for top lists, not top lists, not that kind of show, uh, top lists of the decade and the year. Uh, but the only way I can do that is it's going to be kind of boring if you hear just my voice. So I have with me a guest who's going to also help help by basically providing their own list as well. And I feel like that's going to be the best way to get to know somebody, know their film uh, fandom, essentially. So we're going to be here talking about some movies. We're going to throw out a bunch. Some of the best that we feel are the, I don't know, just worth mentioning. Just worth a visit, worth a watch. Worth a rent, I don't care how you do it, streaming, paying for it, whatever, worth a watch. So, I have here my first guest of the series, and you'll probably hear it's going to be a recurring voice. Thank God, because I know my voice is going to be annoying at some point. But, I have here uh, Megan, who I assume likes movies, I'm going to assume that. So, I don't know. Um, Assume? I think you know me well enough to know that I do really like movies. Okay, well, they um, don't, they don't no, know they you. They don't know that. They don't know you. So, um, <laughs> I guess I'm going to get that question out of the way. That's going to be the difficult question because mm-hmm. it's very broad. Do you like movies? I, and why? I do like movies. Um, and that's a really tough question to answer. Um, mm-hmm. So, I'm going to stall a little bit. Hi, I'm Megan, the recurring voice that you'll also probably get annoyed with here after a while. Um, but why do I like movies? Um, it's not easy. It's, not easy it's really not. And I remember being asked this in my upper division film class, the one and only one I took. And I didn't know how to answer it then either. But, you know, honestly, I feel like movies transport us somewhere. Um, and they teach you to feel. Um, when I watch a movie, I want to be moved. I don't necessarily go in, in go in, going in grammar, go in looking necessarily to be entertained. Although I do think entertainment is great but i do look at film as an art form um some of the films i pick uh some listeners might think that they're not very artsy or yeah but yeah i I mean i did touch base on that and said that you know we 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 have our guilty pleasures we have our films that people people hate and we love and and so on and so forth we do we do love entertainment we also love education so but, you know, and it's not even necessarily that it's an education. It's just, to me, it's something that I want to be moved. It's part of why I love theater so much is because I want to be moved. I want to feel something. And it's an art form. It To me, it really is. It's the ultimate form of art. Um, there's, It's really hard to describe. Why, you, why did you give me something so difficult in the beginning? Um, I, I mean, mean it, it doesn't have to be a detailed <laughs> answer at this point. I, I, so, I feel, you know, side note, if you guys ever come on the show, you guys know you're going to get asked that question. <laughs> so prepare. please start prepping your answers because, <laughs> and I'm not looking for, you know, an, an essay here. I'm just looking for just a general sense of why do you willingly go pay for a ticket, you know, pay the expense of 
ridiculous prices of concessions and sit in the theater? Why do you uh, make plans with friends to watch something? Why? Why? Essentially. And, you know, I think you boiled it down to the simplest thing you can is you want to be moved or you want to be entertained. Uh, Which I think because, a lot of us want. So. Right. Because it is an art form. And they, that essentially, it's the point of art is to tell something. So, hey, by all means, if, I mean, if I get that definition over and over again, I'm not going to debate that. That's that, that. That is what it is. So. So and, I think there's nothing wrong with that, honestly. And I go to a movie because I want to see a story. Um, whether I go by myself, I go with you, I go with my parents, whoever I go with. Um, I want to see a story, and everyone has their own unique voice, and it's really interesting to see. Just how people portray different stories. Um, we see stories over and over again, told in different ways, and it's just really interesting to see that unique voice come out. Right. So, so good. I mean, hey, I'll take that answer. It's because uh, we're going to get right now. So we know that. we now knowing that you love movies, obviously. I feel like at this point in time, because we did discuss uh, earlier that we were going to do some top ten lists. Not even top ten. We're just going to dive into these lists here. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the best way to get to know someone is you, yeah, you can define it all you want, but you're not going to get to know exactly what kind of person they are or what kind of things that they're into personality-wise until you hear what movies that they choose to go and see. That, even subliminally and unconsciously, is a big deal because you can somehow, for some reason, love a certain movie, not even knowing why why you're drawn to it, why you're attracted to it, and you find yourself viewing it over and over again. And that's something that either you, you know, haven't discovered about yourself yet or just something that you find interesting that you just haven't admitted yet, even. So I feel like these lists of the year and the decade that we'll get into right now are going to be good indicators of what kind of personality you have, what kind of person you are, and just what your interests are in general. So can't say anything else other than that and then you know we can just dive right into that list now we're gonna do i think we'll start with the year it's more fresh in our minds so the year was great i think this year was actually really solid for film in all genres across the board uh we had a lot of surprises a lot of expected uh successes so i feel like this is gonna be a hard list to narrow but let's see what we got here uh, I don't know if you have a 10 or 15, 20. I don't know what uh, you got. Well, here's the thing. So for 2019, I, I feel really bad. I kind of slacked off going to see movies, um, even though you guys can't see it. But Adrian's looking at my list right now. And it's actually pretty long, but you saw way more movies than I did last year. It, it, um, yeah, it is a tough one. It's, <laughs> it's, it's tough, tough. Um, especially since like with work schedules and everything, mine was so different. So I didn't have as much time available to me, but I did still see a solid amount of movies, and I'm not going to lie to you guys, I did see some of these at the beginning of this year, but they're going to count because they came out last year. Correct. So um, I'm fudging them in that way. Um, but they're going to be in no particular order, really. Uh, a lot of these I did see later in the year. Um, I saw a lot of them relatively close together, so they're very fresh in my mind. Um, but in no particular order, I definitely, definitely, definitely loved Parasite. Absolutely loved it. And it's actually the most recent one I watched. Uh, I was very... Yeah, it was post uh, Best Picture win. Yes. And what's funny is I saw 1917 prior to that. Went and saw it in IMAX. And that was just amazing. I'm so happy I saw it in IMAX. 
Um, that was an IMAX that we saw, right? It wasn't in the Dolby, right? It was IMAX. It was an IMAX. I'm not insane. Okay. So I saw 1917, and that is also on my list. Mm-hmm. And I was... And some of you might get upset with this, but just wait. I was very upset that 1917 did not win Best Picture. And then I thought, I want to know what all the hullabaloo is about with Parasite. And then I watched it. And I'm, I am totally cool with yes. it winning Best Picture. I stand yes. corrected. It was fantastic. Oh, my goodness. So definitely Parasite. Definitely 1917. Um, I am going to dive into a guilty pleasure right now. It is probably not the greatest movie made last year. However, very near and dear to my heart is Aladdin, the live-action film made by the Walt Disney Company this last year. Granted, uh, one of Disney's <laughs> better live-action it, films, it's, so not going to hold that against. It's so. probably the best live-action they've made, short of, I think, The Jungle Book. That one was pretty good, too. But this one's better. Um, I am very biased, though, and I'm going to say that right now. I love Aladdin. I have loved Aladdin since I was a wee lass, so... That, that took top billing for me. Um, it's not my number one favorite. I honestly can't pick a number one, but Aladdin is on there. Um, so I'm at three now. Um, I also really liked Alita Battle Angel, which I didn't even want to see. I'm not going to lie about that. I saw the trailer for it and thought, absolutely not. I don't want to see this. I'm not interested. And then I watched it, and now I'm obsessed. <laughs> and I want to buy the manga for it. And you can't find it unless you want to buy the deluxe edition, which is a little outside of my price range. But... I just really liked it. It was a really good sci-fi. I think it was a poorly timed sci-fi. Yeah, but it's, it's one of those movies every now and then you'll get a movie that uh, is good, but that an audience isn't interested in, doesn't care for. I know I always use the example a couple years ago, a Johnny Depp film called uh, Public Enemies that... Yes. It, it was a good movie, but didn't do well because it's just not a movie that audiences wanted. A crime gangster drama was not in in the cards at that time that year and i feel like alita is also that that epic sci-fi no um uh, visual spectacle just isn't what audiences wanted and i think that's why it was received somewhat poorly but no i agree i was totally surprised with that movie it's a hidden gem it really is not on my list per (laughs) se but it is something that i would not mind watching over and over again because it is such a fun time it's just it's just really good to look at. it really is i want to watch it over and over again the visual effects (laughs) on those were very impressive so they were and they were very realistic and i love christoph waltz he's just amazing and everything he's in so i was already sold just the opening scene in that movie, I was yeah. I was good. Uh, but I really, really enjoyed it. And like I said, I didn't even want to go see it. I saw the trailer for it and just thought, no, I don't want to see this because I was catering to that. This isn't the right time. I'm not in this mode of thinking anymore. But no, it was fantastic. I loved it. Um, my next one is Joker. This was the first movie in a really long time that made me cry. Uh which is really odd to think about because it's in the... How would you characterize this? Like, it's like he's... Uh, it's not a superhero film, obviously, but what would you call him? Like, the, the antithesis, I guess? And just the social commentary that it made, mm-hmm. and I'm very into that. Um, I'm a history major. I'm very interested in politics and socioeconomic classes and whatnot, just to give you some background on myself. So this movie really spoke to me. And I was not expecting it to speak to me in that way. And I don't then, think anybody was. No, and I sat there, and I just cried. Right. And, I mean, it just, it really struck me. 
and I haven't had a film do that in a very long time, so that's why it's on my list. And I think Joaquin Phoenix, that was just the performance of his career. He's had some really good performances, but this was a well-deserved win, I believe. Yeah. And it's on my list. Um, again, I can't pick a number one, but it's on my list. So I think I'm at five now. Yeah, five. I'm, I'm going through my list and looking at all these films that I really enjoyed, and... I mean, just, we're not limiting it to 10. It's hard. <laughs> you can just breeze through. Just you know, keep going. Yeah, whatever you Oh, got. one I have to say is Terminator Dark Fate. I, I didn't even know this was coming out, and we have mixed uh, feelings on like this. That, that film is, unfortunately, it's, it's on more worst of the year list than it is on best of the year list. It is. Um, it's another one that was badly timed. No one cares about the franchise anymore. Not anymore. And what, what well, this, I do, but... <laughs> what this did was... This this basically had the effect of what, say, Force Awakens did. It took the exact same formula of the original film, in this case Terminator, the original Terminator. Mm-hmm. Just changed up a couple things and told the same story. It did. And what I appreciated, though, because, you know, I'm always spouting on this, those of you that don't know me, but I'm always spouting on, you know, Big Brother's always watching, our fate is inevitable, Skynet's watching. This film basically proved the point I'm making. Like, our fate is inevitable. Yeah, I'm scared of my Alexa. Honestly, I'm a little afraid of mine, too. She played me the other day. But that's what I really liked about this film, um, is that it... You can't get rid of it. We don't learn from our mistakes. And that's something that I really liked that they portrayed in this film. It confronted that we do not learn from our mistakes, that we are going to continue to make them. Right. Uh, no matter what the good intentions are, this film basically contradicted so that. It's not necessarily <laughs> the concept of an action film or a Terminator film. It's just what it what the message has always been, which is uh, artificial intelligence is... We play God too much, and... It's sort of like that Icarus effect that we just oh, get absolutely. too close to the sun and we essentially just burn eventually. ourselves. Yeah, you're going to burn eventually. And, and we don't learn that we see someone else burn and we think, this time I can do better. Right. And we don't. And we don't. Ultimately, the same thing happens. Your fate's inevitable, which I think was a really good commentary that this film made mixed in a sci-fi action film. And bringing back, so. you know, Arnold. and I know oh. Arnold's been, been back, but bringing back his T-800 character and Linda Hamilton, who hasn't been there since, you know, uh, Judgment Day, honestly. So it's a nice return. If I can be that in shape at her age, I'm for it. She, she is a buff lady. She's fantastic. She's so. fantastic. And, you know, it's just another thing, though, with what I mentioned with Aladdin. It's kind of a guilty pleasure to me because the Terminator franchise, um, the OG one and T2, mm-hmm. I'm leaving it there, are very near and dear to my heart. Anything past then, I've seen them, but... Yeah, I've seen them. But <laughs> that's, that's all I have no, to say there. Yeah, there's um, much else to say. But what I really enjoyed about this one was that it brought back the atmosphere of the first two. And it kept that going. It didn't change it. It didn't feel forced or like they were going in a different direction. It felt like a continuation, and it had the same effect as the first two, which I really appreciated. Um, can either agree or disagree with me, but I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, fans are going to be fans are fans. So. So. Um, another one that I really liked was Booksmart. And it was another one I wasn't overly interested in seeing because I'm a little weird with the comedies like that. Yeah, indie comedies have a very uh, odd way of presenting themselves. 
Um, and I feel like they go one way or another. Like indie comedies are honestly they're they're somewhat even uncomfortable. Yes. Because they get too weird. Yes. They get too real. Not weird. Sorry. Uh, too real. Um, because they they poke fun at life. Yes. But they also present life as is, mm-hmm. which is very uncomfortable for for an audience member to view it and be and think to ourselves like, this is. This is this was my life. This was, um, and you've kind of tried to bury that as you get older, or right. try to think I, I didn't think do this. And a, a film outside of Booksmart that does that more is Eighth Grade, um, which I you, have not. Yeah, seen. if you watch Eighth Grade, that film takes the awkwardness of your childhood and just shows it to you, and it's just very uncomfortable. But it serves its purpose and it does it really well. So I think okay, you know, good on Booksmart. I I liked it too. So. So, um, with that being said, like, it was just a really good comedy, a really good coming of age story. And I really do appreciate that it did have a gay character in it. And she was one of the main characters, which I think needs to be portrayed in film more, um, which I really, really appreciate that they did in this film. Um, another one that I really liked, and this is kind of another guilty pleasure, um, was Downton Abbey. I was so excited this film came out. I loved the show. I binged it over two weeks. Um, I didn't watch it when it originally aired. I I was so not on the radar for it. But I really enjoyed it, and it just felt like a nice continuation of the show. And the costuming was great. The characters that came back were great. Not everyone from the original cast came back, but most of them did. Mm-hmm. And it, it felt like we never left the estate. We were just there, just yep. waiting for the story to continue. Um, the last one I'm going to mention before my list gets too long... Uh, was Us. I actually really, really enjoyed Us. Right. Um, I actually liked it better than Get Out, which a lot of people will have in the reverse. But I just... All the elements in this film were there. Between score, music, acting, storytelling, everything was just there. And it made a great house at Horror Nights, which was really awesome. Which we did, yeah. So it was Um, a nice way to be immersed into the film in a totally different way. But I I feel like Us was more of a horror film than Get Out was. Get Out was more of a thriller with a very, very intense social commentary. Yes. Which I think is why it's more successful and more critically acclaimed. Mm -hmm. Because it did present an actual social issue, whereas Us was more, you know... Just a thriller. It was just a thriller. It did have a social commentary to it. But it wasn't on, like, the scale of Get Out. It wasn't the scale of Get Out, which Mm -hmm. I I personally like Get Out for that reason, but I do like Us for its horror aspect. Mm -hmm. And and I appreciate that. I I found a horror movie that I like that's not from the 80s, so, which is what my horror genre is, so. Which is very hard, because the 80s did, the 80s did define a lot of horror tropes and did define a lot of what horror is now. Um, that the 90s ruined, essentially. I mean, there are great horror films in the 90s, but the 90s mm-hmm. did take that to the extreme opposite. I feel like that's when we got more of the the torture stuff coming in. No, I, was that the 2000s that, that started really coming in? Early 2000s was when the torture porn genre came out with Saw and Hostel. Uh, the 90s was when they took horror into this very sex slasher era mm. where... Got it. It was ridiculous sequels and, and continuations of these characters who were built up in the 80s as horror icons and then made them into basically the, these, not jokes necessarily, but just just the, the slashers of dumb teens, essentially. And that makes sense. Then you get your, like, I know what you did last summer genre type stuff. And then, right. yeah. So that makes sense. Um, my 
horror expertise is uh, not very well-rounded. I'm still learning. I'm still finding what I like. But what I'm discovering most is that I do prefer 80s horror. Poltergeist, for example. Mm -hmm. Killer Clowns from Outer Space. If you haven't watched it, you need to watch it. So, but yeah, those are more my jam. Um, Just a couple films that I want to still see from 2019 that I haven't yet. I'm just going to name three. Jojo Rabbit, Marriage Story, and The Lighthouse. Those are my three that I need to get on scene. There's a lot more, but those are the three that I think I, I really want to watch next. Especially Jojo Rabbit. I keep hearing really good things about it. So. Yeah, Jojo Rabbit is, is a very... It, I mean, and congratulations to Taika for winning Adapted Screenplay. Um, it is a great satire. It's very, very... Uh, plays on the whole innocence of a child and just the world that they that they're told exists that they don't they don't question it they don't challenge it and you have this child who begins to question it begins to challenge it and starts to see the world through his own eyes and not through the eyes of what the people are the, of the people that are telling him to see so it's a really really good comedy so i i would definitely recommend that i'm looking forward um, to watching it for sure so so uh, with that being said i think that covers my 2019 i feel like I kind of ran on there a little bit, but... No, that's fine. I have um, lots of thoughts. No, I, I, I do like a lot of those films. You know, 1917, Parasite, Joker, Booksmart, definitely on my list as well, actually. Those are probably within my top five. Um, so I know we're kind of sort of breezing through these, so if, but if you ever do want any detailed, I will spend episode after episode on specific films. So if you want me to, at some point later on down the line, stop and actually take a deep dive into... A specific film, please let me know. Uh, I will gladly go and do that, provide all the information I can, uh, instead of just breezing by. You know, there's a lot of films to cover, so hence, you know, the quick rush through. But, yeah, if you do want us to take the time to talk about something specific, please let me know, and I will gladly do that for you guys. So, right on. Um, I'm not going to give my entire list, but I'm going to add a couple films that I think are worth mentioning. A little bit of under-the-radar kind of things, because I know there's films like Ford vs. Ferrari, which, you know, had a wide release. Right. Um, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood had a pretty wide release. Which I wanted to see. Um, I really wanted to see that one. Tom Hanks is is the the, the spotlight on that. Um, Films like Irishman and and Marriage Story are on Netflix, so those are easy to find. But some films that weren't necessarily put out there that I think deserve a mentioning are... Two films by Shia LaBeouf, actually, Honey Boy and Peanut Butter Falcon, both near-perfect films. Peanut Butter Falcon, for its message, it's just the most heartwarming story you can have. Uh, I think even beats out the heart that Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood had. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, which is saying a lot. <laughs> That's saying something, it's, just it's, from the reputation for the other one. There, Yeah, that but. Peanut Butter Falcon is great. And the other Shia film, Honey Boy, which he wrote and is basically semi-autobiographical. Uh, it's just a fantastic story about his upbringing and the stuff he had to deal with and continues to deal with and how he's trying to find peace with it. So, uh, just those two f- two films, I feel like, deserve a mention. And also Dark Waters. It was widely released, but got no attention, no love whatsoever. Definitely deserves to be seen. It it's It's an eye-opening film for sure on something that continues to affect us to this day. And it's just one of those unbelievable stories of uh, just 
the things that government and big companies do to cover up their mistakes and and we still suffer from and, and I think is, it's something that needs to be said movies like that are important for people to see right. I think and it's movies like that unfortunately that people don't see so well what do we do about that not much but please watch these <laughs> please watch these films like I said let us know what your, some of your favorite films were uh Give me your top lists too. Just you know, I'll take anything. Just share with me all those films that you want to. Maybe I didn't see any that you have, and you want to share with them. Please let me know. So awesome! Now that was the year. A little bit easier to do because it's fresh in your mind. Um, there's only a couple standouts a year, so it's pretty pretty easy list to manage. I watched some of these three weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> They're very fresh. Um. But what's difficult is that we are in 2020. This is a new decade. We've had 10 years worth of films to, I don't know, take us through the years, essentially. Now, coming up with a list of what you think is the best of these 10 last 10 years is a task unto itself. <laughs> this one but, was so hard. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it was hard for me as well. I had a list, <laughs> I think, uh, before I started trimming some of the titles off I had about 65 titles on that list and had to narrow it down but that was just me I I I I, want to say I I do see a lot so um you do you see a lot more than I do and I see a lot but yeah you see a lot yeah so let's go through yours uh in no particular order as well either I'm assuming what did you remember and it doesn't even have to necessarily be the best. It's oh, just, they're not. Uh, <laughs> films that just you, you love to watch over and over again that just happened to come out in the last 10 years. Which I think with some of my picks you'll understand. They're just films that I just absolutely love for no other reason than I just love them. Um, I'm going to kind of go, not in a particular order, but I am going to save the ones that made the biggest impression on me for last. Um, there is going to be a repeat on here. I'm just going to say it right now is Terminator Dark Fate. That was my ultimate guilty pleasure because I grew up watching the Terminator franchise and I absolutely loved it. And I had no idea this film was even coming out because I was so out of touch last year. Uh, so when I saw the trailer for it, I about lost my noodle and I looked at you and I was like, did I just see that correctly? And you said, yes, kind of. I don't want to say unenthused, but kind of like, yeah. Yeah, it's another, it's another <laughs> reboot, basically, sequel. And it was pretty much the only movie from last year, other than Aladdin, that I was just like, oh my gosh, this is really happening. Because I do still care about the franchise. I love the franchise. And that's why it made it on this list. Mm-hmm. It was because it's just something that's very near and dear to my heart. Yeah. So, Terminator Dark Fate. Um, the next one that I'm going to say is going to be The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey from 2012. I have six copies of this book. Why do I have six copies of this book? Because I love it. Granted, the movies expanded and embellished um, upon the story. However, this was such a sweet treat. I grew up loving the Lord of the Rings films. Like, they were what made me fall in love with film. And I think you said something very similar. Yeah. Was that those films were what really clinched it for you. Right. Um, And I loved the books. I loved the films. It was actually one of the first PG-13 movies my mother would let me watch, as funny as that is. 
but um, Lord of the Rings, not The Hobbit. I was old when The yeah, Hobbit came out. <laughs> I was old when The Hobbit came out. But when I saw the trailer for it, I was so excited because we're going back to Middle Earth. Yeah. And I didn't think that was going to happen. There had been a lot of talk about it, but it was like, it's been 10 years. Where is it? Is it coming? And then there it was. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there was a lot of so. issues behind the scenes and, you know, having Del Toro attached to write and direct, having it only supposed to be two films. Right, and then it was and, three. And you know, the whole MGM issue and, and strike that they had down in New Zealand, it was just... We didn't think this was going to come. We didn't think it was coming. Um, um, there was the hope it was coming, but it was starting to fade. Yeah. Um, it, they look rushed. They look rushed. Yeah. Del Toro had to leave. I think he went on and did Crimson Peak. I think you're right. I think it was Crimson Peak that came out. Um, but it, it was rushed because Peter Jackson wanted to, to, to tell the story he wanted to tell without tarnishing what Del Toro had created. But it was, it was not in the time frame. I think Rings had... Years of pre-production, and Peter Jackson only had a couple months for Hobbit, and so uh, there's no fault to him. It was no. just he worked with what he had to right. work with, and here we are. But again, it was kind of like Terminator. It was just the sweetest treat. Like I said, I have six copies of this book. My happy little heart when this came out. Um, I do love the next two, Desolation of Smaug and Battle of the Five Armies. But if I had to pick one of the three, it would definitely be the first one because it was what, well, it came out first and it's what started the stirrings again. So I just, I love it. It is honestly, I tell you this all the time. It's my favorite story. I I think I like that one best of the three because honestly, it's honestly just the the riddle scene with, with Gollum. With Gollum. That was probably the best. Not only because the writing was fun, but, like, seeing Gollum again years after Rings came out... Well, his innocence is still there. Not, but not A little only bit. that, it's so, visually. Uh, it's having seen him, you know, the CG character, the way the technology itself was mm-hmm. in Rings was great at the time, because it's 2002, I think, when his full character finally came out right. in the Towers. But to see him here, he was... He looked fantastic. He did. He really did. And he looked great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was partially because the technology had caught up with what they wanted to do. And instead of having him film the scene three different times, uh, like they did on Rings, he was able to do the, the physical and facial performance all on once. set all at once. And I don't know. It just visually, that scene is honestly why I love Unexpected Journey. And... And I love it because... And I get to see Hobbiton again. Oh, yeah. Bagging. If we could live in the Shire, wouldn't that be great? But That's always why. Honestly. And then they love food. I love food. But yeah. I digress. It's just, to me, it was, as most stories start, like with Fellowship of the Ring, it's the one that's the most innocent still. And still has that air of hope and sweetness to it. Yeah. A lot of setup. A lot of sweetness. Just... A lot of character development in the beginning. So, to me, it's the one that seems the most fairy tale like of the three, which I appreciate. That's my style. Mm. So, with that being said, moving right along here, um, I'm going to go into the animated genre now, and I'm going to say my animated pick was Frozen <laughs> from 2013. Now, this was a really tough choice for me. I had to go through Toy Story movies, I had to go from Moana, and. I mean, I had to go through Disney's catalog, and then I thought about The Breadwinner, which I genuinely enjoyed. Yeah. Um, But for an entirely different reason. Um, Most people probably haven't even heard of The Breadwinner. 
Look it up. Look it up. Look it up. It's Please good. look it up. It is not a children's animated film. No. It is not meant. It is meant for adult viewing. Um, if you want to show it to your kids, great. However, don't go into it thinking, "Oh, it's animated. I should show this to my my six year old." No, people get shot in it. I'm just going to say that right now. Um, but it's a really, really good story about a little girl who has to pretend to be a boy so that she can help take care of her family under a Taliban-run village. Mm-hmm. So. It's for her own safety and to provide for her family, which is all girls. So, because women couldn't go out of the house without a man, and her father had been arrested. So, it's a very, very good story. It's one that I think is very important. However, I watched it really late. I didn't watch it when it came out. Um, And I wanted to go with something that, to me, really sparked some kind of magic in me. Because when I watch an animated film, which... For some people, this isn't what they go into. I want I want to feel like I did when I was a kid. I do. And Frozen did that for me. I hadn't felt that kind of magic from a Disney movie or from an animated movie in a really long time. As much as I liked Tangled and Brave, Frozen was what made me believe in magic again. And that Disney could produce something that was magical on that scale again. Which I think a lot of people were saying about it. Yeah, because so, Disney had been a, in a bit of a downhill. I know you had some, you know, some good films like uh, I know Treasure Planet was was good mm-hmm. as far as two D two D animation goes. Prince right. and the Frog, uh, but they kind of had a little bit of a downward slope, and Tangled sort of brought that um, princess musical back into the scene, and and it did well. It and did. Same with en- uh, Enchanted. Uh, actually, oh, Enchanted it, it was had, fun. It had the same effect. <laughs> But Frozen is what really put Disney back on the map of their classic fairy tale musical, just the legacy that they have in that genre. And it had a bigger message to it, I think. It, and so, it, yeah, it, it did go against what most of them was. It wasn't a girl looking for her Prince Charming. And it, it started off that, that way, way, so it led you down that path. And it it changed the, the mentality of decades of what Disney had already been doing of happiness is in your Prince Charming. Well, in that one scene with Kristoff where he looks at her and he goes, you can't marry someone you just met? Like, are you Which crazy? they make fun of themselves, <laughs> so. and that's what Disney did right, is they said, you know what, We've, we we know we made these films and they're classics, but but we're, we're kind of wrong. We're kind of wrong. Like, get to know someone first. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's family, essentially. Essentially, it's family and it's friendship. And it's unconditional love, which I think came out at the end. So I really enjoyed it. I think a lot of those scenes in it, like when we have the water and then the ice, it's the animation is really good in it. Like it's very, very good. Um, That's from 2013, in case any of you forgot. It's going to be 10 years old soon. Can you believe that? Yeah, it's what, seven years old right now? It's seven years old right now. I can't believe how fast time went by. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. Um, my next one is going to be The Death of Stalin. Very obscure film. Uh, I didn't even, again, another one I didn't know even existed. It was, what, limited release, I think? A film like that, yeah, typically. And it was, you have to watch it, please. I think it's you can rent it on Amazon Prime, I believe, if you have that. If not, I'm sure you can find it on like YouTube or something or scenes from it on YouTube. Um, I don't know about Hulu or anything. I don't have a Hulu subscription, but 
I really enjoyed this film. I went and watched it by myself, I think, at like a 10.30 showing at night. It was late. I was one of maybe six people in the theater, and I about died. I was laughing so hard. It is a political satire. So you need to go in with your, I guess you could say, uh, your thinking cap on, or these are going to go right over your head, because it's, it's just very blasé and satirical, and it's very sarcastic. Um, with a great performance by Jason Isaacs. He's not in it for very long either, but his screen time is just fantastic. And it's spoofing, but it's not spoofing on, well, as it's called, the death of Stalin and what the Soviet government did right in his immediate death, how they handled the situation. And the long story short is not very well. Um, they struggled, and they were just a hot mess. And this story covers those couple of weeks afterwards just very, very funnily. Just, it's very funny. Um, it's very much my kind of humor, which is very dry and sarcastic, and it's very uppity and educated from, you know, years of watching things like Frasier. Um, I have a very odd sense of humor, so I find things like this absolutely hilarious. But it's from 2017. Um, please check it out. If you can, if it's something that's up your alley, some of it, like any film that's historically based, um, is fabricated or is embellished upon. So don't take it as a hundred percent factual. No, but it's it's a good time talking about something awkward. That's the best way I can put it, or something that's kind of tough. And, and, so and it's, it's kind of such a Jojo Rabbit has that effect of let's make fun of uh, children training to become Nazis. Right, which happened. <laughs> so, yeah. But it, it it makes it more relatable, more accessible, I guess you could say. Yeah, it, it approachable. Makes it, yeah, it makes a tough subject easy to approach and easy to listen to. So, and I think it's a part of history we don't really think of because I think when we go it's back to history. it's not American history and I think typically we get a lot of World War II films that involve Hitler, but we don't get a lot of Russian or Soviet Union films, I think. Unless it's outside of, you know, some kind of espionage film. Yeah. But, so that was really good. Um, little hidden gem you should check out. But another one that I really, really enjoyed, uh, which was kind of unexpected, was the film Everest. Uh, it's from 2015. It is based upon a true story um, of a, what would you call them? Like an expedition group that took people up the mountain and most of them didn't make it back down. And it's, like I said, it's based on a true story. Uh, it's told from their perspective, and it goes into how half of them ended up being left up there. And they still are. They're still up there. And I have this obsession with mountains. I love them. I have a bucket list of mountains I want to see. And this is one that I know I will probably never get to see or ever get to scale. I don't have that kind of... I'm not in shape for that. I will never be in shape for that. But it was a way to see it. And it was... A really good way to see how dangerous this is. We know how dangerous it is. We hear it. We read about it. But it's different to see it portrayed in a film. And it's not something to be taken lightly. You could lose your life going up there. You could lose your limbs. One of the guys that made it, I think, had part of his face removed and his fingers were removed because he had frostbite. It's intense. But it was a very, I think, well-done story. It was very emotional and very poignant, and I just really enjoyed it. I didn't see it in a theater. Um, I watched it at home, but 
I would have loved to have seen it on a big screen just to see that mountain on that kind of scale. But it was it was really good. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal does actually a really good performance in it. It's a uh, he's kind of comedic in it, but he's not. He's just he was really good, and he, just another example to see how multifaceted he is. Well, he's great. So he's, he's awesome. One of my favorites. So. Uh, that was one of my picks. Um, another one was I had to go with something Star Wars-y, but I did not pick Star Wars per se. I picked Rogue One from 2016. Um, I just really enjoyed it. To me, it felt literally like a continuation of, or a not a continuation, but a little, little, what would you call it? Prelude to episode four. Like, which is what it was and it felt like I was getting dropped right into the story and which is what I really wanted and we got something that wasn't so far back that we're going into prequel time period mm-hmm. or somewhere lost in the middle but it was literally right there and I always wondered how did they get these battle plans I mean they kind of told us but we got to see or not the battle plans but the Death Star plans and we actually got to see how they got it and for a little Star Wars nerd like myself that was really cool And those scenes with Darth Vader, I think, were important because I think he's kind of been turned into a giant meme and almost like a colossal joke with the internet age. And we forget that he's actually terrifying. And I think this film did that justice, that he is actually a formidable adversary and he's scary. Mm -hmm. And... I think we needed to be reminded of that. But then again, I love Darth Vader, and I'm very obsessed with that whole franchise. So this this did him some justice, even though he wasn't the main point of this film. Uh, but I just really enjoyed it. Um, I liked it better than Force Awakens. I actually talked to you about how I struggled with trying to choose between Rogue One and Force Awakens, and I had to have a life chat with myself about, did I like Force Awakens as a whole? Or did I just like Kylo Ren? And it ultimately came down to, I just liked Kylo Ren. So I didn't think that was enough of a reason to put it on this list when I already have enough guilty pleasures on here. Mm. So anyways, moving right along, um, I'm going to go with The Shape of Water from 2017. I could see you kind of resisting it, <laughs> but... It's a good movie. It's just, I, I don't know, I... Again, if you want me to discuss it, I, I have no problem doing that. So, <laughs> yeah, it's just not my favorite. I, I really enjoyed The Shape of Water, and I remember going to see it. This is another one I went and saw by myself. This one I saw in the middle of the day um, with a lot of the cute little old ladies and the cute old couples. Um, so, and I sat there by myself, and I watched it, and for whatever reason, I just was moved. And I remember texting you after I got out of the movie and I said I really like this and I can't even explain why I liked it and I think that was a lot of the the struggles people had with this film was they liked it but they didn't know why Mm -hmm. and I don't know if it was just the score for it was just so beautiful and so just sweeping and fairy tale-ish and then you get dropped into this culture that's not necessarily a fairy tale but when the, I guess you could say the scheme that you would think of one, kind of like how we were talking about, like Tangled, um, it's more contemporary um, in the last century. However, it just, it was just beautifully done. And the fact that the main character, she's mute, she can't speak. And everything is just so fluid and different forms of communication. And she finds someone or this creature that she can identify with and ultimately falls in love with. And... 
I think that was where a lot of people struggled was the love between these two because it's not between two humans. But it was just a really beautiful story and it had a lot of social commentary in it as well that I could go on forever and ever about. So yeah. we won't get into that. Like Adrian was saying, an episode unto itself is the shape of water. But I think it was a well-deserved Best Picture win. I was very pleased with that. Um, and it is one of my absolute favorite films. So There you go. And again, I just... I said at the beginning of this episode was that I watched movies to be moved, and this film moved me. And I cannot tell you why, but it just... I sat there, and I just... I felt. <laughs> so, um, getting down to the last two. These are going to be in no particular order at all. Um, I did say I was going to leave my top ones for the last. Um, 2011's The Artist. One of my absolute favorite movies. Another one that I didn't want to see when it first came out because I thought, oh, black and white silent film. What am I doing? I don't want to sit there and read the whole thing. I was very obtuse um, 10 years ago, my young self. And then I watched this movie and I fell absolutely in love with it. If you haven't seen it, please, please, please. It is worth sitting there and reading and listening to. The music in it is great. Uh, the characters are fantastic, and the ending is just so sweet. I think that was the most satisfying ending to a movie I've ever experienced, and I don't want to spoil it, but I lost, I lost my noodle at the end of this movie. It was just so... And now maybe if you haven't seen it and you watch it, you'll think, oh, that's it, but it was so satisfying. It, it should be satisfying oh. to anyone who watches it if you do pay attention to what they're trying to say. I mean... It's a clear, it's a, one of those clear stories, but it, it it still has a profound effect just because of the fact that it, it's saying something about our time now using the technology of a time then, and it it's just one of those things where our form comes full circle. And it, it, it works. It does. And it also won Best Picture. It did. Apparently I'm a Best Picture ho. But here we are. I mean, um, it's our best of the decade, so I mean, so, hey. hey. I, and I realized I can't count. I saw one that I missed. Um, this is also in my top, but it's not going to be like my top two, but that's where it, the cards fell here, was Blade Runner 2049, also from 2017. It was just exquisite. Mm-hmm. Visually, it was just stunning. Um the original Blade Runner from the 80s is on my Desert Island list. So I already really love this film. But that's all I can really say about it was that it was just visually just so stunning. Just fantastically done. Um, and did you say it was by the same director that did Arrival? Or? Yeah, so, so uh, Denis Villeneuve, is, he's directed Sicario, Arrival, Prisoners, uh, Blade Runner. He's directing the upcoming Dune. Uh, oh yes, any, I'm so excited. Anything that man touches is like cinematic gold, essentially. And utilizing Roger Deakins as a cinematographer is also a big plus in that because his films are just very visually, uh, they just catch you visually. And Blade Runner, I think, having the aesthetic Mimicking the aesthetic of eighty of the 80s Blade Runner, mixing that with contemporary cinematography, it and, and Denis just style in general of the way he he asks to frame a shot is just it looks great off the bat and it just happened to be attached to a story that 
is actually good. So, and it really is. And the thing is, is okay. So if you watch the original Blade Runner, um, I watched it I think four times in one week because I'm ridiculous. But for the '80s, that's stunning. That was really good. I think um, as far as the technology they had available to them. So then, like you just said, you take that and you put it with today's technology and just. Wow, it was just, I was so stunned through this whole film. And it is a bit of a slow burn. It's not super fast-paced, I wouldn't say, but neither is the original one. You do have to process and sit through it, but it is well worth it. I, I just, I was just so flabbergasted by how beautiful this movie was. So I'm going into my last one because I feel like I have taken so long. I'm so sorry. Um is one that I think is really important and that I think more people need to watch, as uncomfortable as it might make you, is 12 Years a Slave from 2013. Um, Another Best Picture winner. Um, Honestly, I watched this in that film class I mentioned a little while ago. I had not seen it because I was afraid to watch it. I had heard that it was very brutal and it was very harsh and it was... A part of American history that I didn't know about. I mean, yes, I knew there was slavery, but I was not aware that free people were kidnapped from the North and sold down South. I didn't know that that continued to happen once the Civil War was over. That I didn't know was going on. Because it was, wait, no, not once the Civil War was over, but, like, prior to it, correct? So, it, it, it was like... It was just in a time where, you know, it, they, they were free. They were free. They had freedom, and they were being stolen and sold and identities are stripped away he didn't see his family for 12 years and at the end like when he says i've had a very difficult time it was just oh my gosh my heart it's the fact that he does suffer through these these 12 years and he comes back and he apologizes for something that he had no control over it's just the humble just the humble quality of this man is just what drives the film because he's determined mm-hmm. to uh, I mean he even says it in the film he, he's to survive to keep going um, till freedom is opportune I believe is the quote I think that's yeah um, and that's what he does is he keeps going and doing what he needs to do to get to his freedom and even when he does achieve it, he apologizes for having missed so much of his family's life. And he had no control over it at all. Yeah, he had no control over it. And it just, the performances in it were fantastic. Leave it one, Lupita, what, her first Oscar? Yeah, Lupita, Fassbender, Paul Dano, even Um, Brad Pitt, who has a brief appearance in it. mm -hmm. Uh, All all good acting. And honestly, Benedict Cumberbatch was in it for a little bit, and Mm -hmm. he was great. Everyone did a fantastic job in this film. The costuming was great. Locations were fantastic. Like, it was just, I mean... Yeah. The score, Hans Zimmer's score was actually a good score. And I think the film had a high expectation because of the director, mm-hmm. the Steve McQueen. I think he had done uh, Shame before that with Fastbender, which I believe was an NC-17 film that got, garnered a lot of attention because it was actually good. People sort of stay away from NC-17. Yeah, for whatever reason, that's but, scary to people. Um, but the story for Shane was actually really, really good, and so it put McQueen on the map, and the expectations were high on this, and he delivered. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I think it probably, as much as I said I wasn't going to pick a number one, it's probably my number one. Even though it's not my favorite on this list in terms of 
joy. The, this movie was not meant to be joyful. This was not meant to be, I don't think. It's supposed to be, it's entertainment. All film is entertainment to an extent. However, it had a much deeper meaning to it. Mm-hmm. And it's up there for me, like with Schindler's List, where it's just very important to watch. Although I will digress for one second and say that Schindler's List, I think, is the absolute most important film anybody could ever watch. But that's an entirely different conversation for an entirely different mm-hmm. <laughs> day. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's up there as in terms of you need to see this film. It's important. So, yeah. Um, thank you for <laughs> letting me ramble on there for no, a long time no. about this is, I, 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 I <laughs> the films I love. I'm here to listen to what, you know everyone who comes on is going to have to say and what what films that they what films they they prefer, what films they like. Well, so, you know, I had to sneak a little Schindler's List in there at some point with how much I talk about this movie, but <laughs> right, it's totally fine. I haven't mentioned the Burbs yet. I can. <laughs> yeah, you can. Sorry. Um, but okay, so, I mean, that that's one thing that I mean the the reason why we have these lists is not only you know just to get a. a, a top of the year, top of the decade kind of thing, or what do you get, what I get, compare notes and things like that. It's, as I said in the beginning, it's to get an idea of who these people are. And from what I gather is that, that this, your your preferred thing, film, is black comedy, satirical, you have fantasy, sci-fi, just... It's a little all over the place. It is a little all over the place, but it, it can be separated into two. It can be separated into the dark, uh, the dark satirical comedy and the sci-fi fantasy, mm-hmm. essentially. Which is, I think, a pretty clear distinction between the two. And they're totally like polar opposite ends of the spectrum here. They are, but, but it still it is works. What, it still is what you prefer. And you know, it, it is. And granted, I enjoy the Marvel movies, but. In case you notice, not a single Marvel movie made it onto which, either of my lists. Which is fine. There are I, <laughs> I, I, there are plenty of top lists that don't include Marvel. Um, They're great. Don't get me wrong. What Marvel but has done is done something that no other studio has done before, which garners attention on on its own mm-hmm. for that. But. Um, they are films that I feel work best as a whole, and Correct. not individually. I absolutely agree with so, that. So, I, I, I mean, I can go on about that too, and I have, I have one of those films on my list, but for for that reason that I just said. So, it made history. Like the franchise made history. It really did, mm-hmm. and that that's something to to give some credit for. You know, give right. them the credit where it's due. But for me, it just. Obviously, I put Terminator on there, so we know where my loyalties lie. But you know, here we are. Mm-hmm. So, but that's a, that's a lot of. But franchises are a big deal. I know franchises right now in film. I I want to say they're dying down a little bit. But the the respark of franchise franchises is definitely, you know, still around. You have a lot of films either bringing in a part four or a part five where a perfect trilogy already had existed, mm-hmm. or 
just the nostalgia kick that we're all on right now, bring, bringing back... Well, like Halloween uh, did. Halloween made uh, it come back. Yeah, you get films like Halloween, like Bad Boys, um, the upcoming uh, Matrix 4. Mm-hmm. Bill and Ted. Yeah, Bill and Ted 3. <laughs> uh, just stuff right, right now that, that just people want to see more of. Which is fine, and that that's what franchises are for. Franchises are to just continue telling stories. Um, I, even this year, where uh, Jurassic World 3 started filming. Oh, did it? Um, Ooh, that's exciting. Uh, which so. has the original cast, Samuel Laura Dern. Well, we're anticipating two more uh, Avatar films, correct? We're anticipating like four more. Is it four? Films. Good lord. It, yeah, that's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole other, other thing. Something. Um, the New Mutants, the X-Men franchise is still... It's finally being released after three, four years in purgatory. Um, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the DC Extended Universe in general, those those franchises, uh, well, the Fast and Furious franchise, which is hitting its ninth film this summer. I was summer. gonna say we're on like number uh, eighty four. I'm just kidding. I have I've seen two of them. <laughs> and and even even something like the horror franchises that are still going. Like you mentioned, Halloween is still going. Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. Um, Coming out, uh, Candyman is is coming out again. Uh, Look at the by, Conjuring universe. Produced by Jordan Peele, the Conjuring universe that has Annabelle, the Nun, the Conjuring films. You have the Insidious franchise. We could go on um, and on about this. You even have the Saw franchise, which Chris Rock is doing, Spiral, which is extending the the lore of what Saw was. And that looks really good, um, actually. I'm intrigued by that. I'm I, so. Saws are my guilty pleasure, so I'm seeing it regardless, but. It, it's all these franchises that we're on right now, and mm-hmm. it's kind of hard. Like even we talked about Blade Runner. Denis Villeneuve mentioned earlier that he wants to go back to the world of Blade Runner. So we might even be getting another Blade Runner. Ooh, can we get the um, Tesla truck in it? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> you know. But um, um it, it's it's one of those things that we can't complain about, but we do, but we don't. We want them, but we want something new. So we're kind of, we're giving them something difficult to work with here. And I think one of the better examples of continuing a franchise while not continuing the franchise is something like Creed. Mm-hmm. Is It's taking the world and building upon it. It's not necessarily taking the characters. We do see the characters, but they're not the focus. Um, I think that was a great uh, way to... Because we've had six Rocky films, and with the Creed 1 and 2 films, you have eight now, but it's not just all Rocky, it's it's something different. Uh, even Blade Runner did that too, where mm-hmm. you have the story of with Harrison Ford's character, he's in it, but it's not his story. No, it's someone else's. It's yeah. not like you're getting a Bad Boys where it's the same two gentlemen in all three films, or the Bill and Ted's are the same two, you know, two two guys. Um, Terminator franchise, kind of. It circled same. back around, so. So it's just franchises are are just all over the place, but we can again. You can literally spend an episode talking about anything and franchises. Oh, you really included. could. But I mean, that's um, a nice segue into. It is a nice segue. <laughs> speaking of franchises, we're getting. The 25th Bond film, which started in the early 60s, I believe 63. 62. Two. We just learned 62. Um, 
25 films. That's a franchise. That is a that is a almost 60 year old franchise. Most, we just did the math on that too. Most definitely <laughs> a franchise and No Time to Die, Daniel Craig's final outing as Bond, uh, which actually side note just was revealed to be the longest Bond film at 2 hours and 43 minutes. So I'm okay with that. I that that's a great time for it me. It looks fantastic. It looks great. It's oh. it's it started off at the realism with Casino Royale, and it's slowly been getting towards the sort of semi-ridiculousness of what the old James Bond films were. Like, in the trailer, we see his Aston Martin with the machine guns on, in the headlights. Like oh, that's, yeah. That's... That's classic. That's very classic, um, and we're finally getting that. And then the gunshot at the end, that's very classic Bond pose right there. Which they did in Casino Royale as well. Mm-hmm. And they haven't done it, I don't think, since then. I don't think they have. Which is a nice bookend. So, but it, this is a franchise we most definitely will, I don't think we'll ever die. Um, and I know we've had that, we had that feeling as audiences when Pierce Brosnan was done with his in the, I think, late to early 2000s. I think Thought that Die was Another it. Day was his final film. But we didn't know where else to go. And I, I, I would assume that fans of Connery wondered what next, or fans mm-hmm. of Timothy Dalton wondered what next, and even fans of Roger Moore, you know, just what's next, and we're going along on these journeys with these different men playing the same character, and so now even though Daniel Craig's leaving, we're going to be sort of uncomfortable with who's next, but it's just the way the franchise goes. And that's how the franchise is just structured, like you just said, I mean different men have played him over the years and Daniel Craig's franchise I think is the first ones that actually had a continuing story to them I think the rest were all just independent ones if I'm correct I want uh, to say they were yeah I, to be honest I've not seen all of them uh, so <laughs> I can't really say yes or no but the reason why I bring this up the reason why we talk about all this the reason why we're even mentioning Bond and even asking the question of are they continuous is because we're going to find out. <laughs> yes, we're going to find out. We're going to find Not me, you. I um, do, yes. I'm going to find out. So, Megan here is going to be um, the resident Bond girl for this next coming week, leading <laughs> up until the actual release of No Time to Die. So, you are going to be watching all 24 yes. existing Bond films, and you are going to... Whenever you can, because there are a lot of films to watch. There's a lot. <laughs> We're going to be doing some updates, hopefully weekly. The goal is to do this weekly. Um, break down three or four or however many films you can get to within the week, mm-hmm. week's time. Just break down the franchise. We're going to dive into as much as we can to every film. Um, but, you know, the, the storyline, the... The time period what it was made. Oh, absolutely. Because every, every Bond film is a, is subject to its time. Definitely. There's definitely a difference between the Sean Connery films to the Daniel Craig films. I, you have some difference. very hippie Bond movies, and you have some very realistic Bonds, and you mm-hmm. have some overly stylized. And then you've and got some cheese. Yeah. <laughs> so. Sprinkles some cheese all in between. Mm-hmm. So but. we're going to get... We're going to see what exactly... I guess, in a way, what exactly made made this franchise? And why is it still here? Why is it, yeah. After 60 years, why is it still here? Why are people still intrigued by this character? Well, and it's one of the most coveted roles in 
Hollywood is picking the correct bond is a big deal mm-hmm. where you have someone who, and I'm going to say this now and just get it out of the way. Um, Idris Elba, Elba, excuse me, was approached to play him and he said, no. And I'm devastated. Like, I think he would have been perfect to play Bond, and he didn't think he would be. Um, I'm sure Daniel Craig felt the same way. Oh, I'm sure he felt the same way. But there's just this enormous pressure on the role. And you think, how after 60 years is there still that much pressure on this one role? Mm -hmm. What's made it last? And we've seen other franchises go by the wayside or I mean Marvel's in 10 years and that's a drop in the bucket next to this one granted this one didn't make history in the way that the Marvel films did but this one's got some staying power so I kind of want to see why that is like yeah why why? where where did the changes happen and just how the changes happened because I there are some things you can clearly tell like I said you have the time period that it was made in you have the differences in settings, the differences in how cheesy you can get with the storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, you have sort of these female characters who are just there for the pleasure leading up to what Daniel Craig's franchise is, and these women are very independent and strong. Oh, yeah. They're matched, if not better than, than the Bond character himself. And then so, those are coveted roles, too. To be a Bond girl is right. a big deal. So... Which is, like I said, which has changed from being this sort of, like, sexualized symbol to this... Uh, They're very powerful women. Powerful equal to the Bond sort of character. So, so when and where did that change? When was that shift? And so these are all things that we're going to be looking at. And I think they're, they're good questions to ask. Um... You know, and just to see, like, what kind of Bond our grandparents watched and then our parents watched. And now... We're the product of the Daniel Craig era. So it's just going to be nice to see and really interesting to take a look at the evolution of this franchise and see how it's changed and where it's come from. Mm -hmm. So, And ultimately, I'm so excited to hear the score because, again, it is so satisfying to hear the Bond theme. It really is. If we couldn't, like, if we could get that in there, too bad for copyrights, right? (laughs) But, oh, but... I'm really looking forward to this. I do have a lot of homework to do, but um, be getting started on that. Yeah. Um, so we'll be we'll try and uh, keep your eyes peeled on on our ears open for those episodes. Uh, we'll include those in the titles that way you know right after that what we're gonna dive into. Um, yeah, I think it'll be a fun project, and if you guys like any of that, then we'll we'll, we'll do some dives into other franchises. Uh, granted, they won't be as long as this, but... Oh, no, this is ambitious, but we, we're on a time uh, crunch, so... Like the franchises <laughs> we just mentioned, you know, there's mm-hmm. Jurassic, there's the X-Men franchise, the Saw franchise, the Fast franchise, and we can <gasps> do some dives into those, and... That's the one I missed! It was Logan! That <laughs> was one of my top films, it was Logan. So, a little P.S. note, Logan's on my list. Anyways, go ahead. No, right, so that's... <laughs> that's that's part of the X-Men franchise. That's, it is. So. That is a franchise, and that's a franchise that's very unique. It's gone through many iterations of time travel and changing its own timeline, and solo films that worked and solo films that didn't work, and restarting it, and the X-Men franchise is unique, it, to yes, say the least. That's the best way to put it. Curious to see what Disney's going to do with it. Um, 
but but that was the one I missed. Thank you for for mentioning X Men because I, yeah, that was driving me nuts. <laughs> like I know I've missed something, and it was Logan. Mm-hmm. So. So and I wish, and to bring up the best picture again, I wish it had been nominated. I think it so deserved it. But it did. It, it really did. did. But that is another debate for another day. But it's not really a debate. That's the, I think <laughs> everyone would agree that Logan should have gotten more recognition than it did. It was fantastic. So. Um, and, I mean, I'll even say it. I think I liked it better than The Dark Knight, but that's just me. But... It was that, that that is more of a debate. That's right a debate right there. We could have that debate for <laughs> a long time. But, because there's a debate um, of is it better because of the attachment to the character, or is it better because of the actual story? Right. There's differences. There's there. differences. So, um, but that's another movie that made me cry, and I just sat there like, why am I crying? Oh my gosh! But yeah, where I just out of nowhere started crying. So, um, so I guess again, it made me feel. Mm-hmm. I keep repeating the same thing. I want movies to make me feel, and I guess I've listed all these movies that make me feel. But well, I doubt half of these Bond films will make you feel anything. Um, I I feel like some of them will definitely make me think (laughs) with the level of cheese. But um, because I will like admit, I have seen some of these. I've seen a couple of the Pierce Brosnan ones, um, and I know I've seen um, From Russia with Love, just not in its entirety or all at one time. I've probably seen all of it, but I feel like not all at one time. So in splicey pieces here. But the Pierce Brosnan cheese. Yeah, those are the most cheese. I'm but you know what? I have I have about fifteen films to get through <laughs> before I get to those. So I I've got some time to brace myself, but this'll be an interesting experiment. Yeah, so, so uh, like I said, keep an eye out for those episodes to be posted. Uh, those are going to be really, really fun. Uh, those are going to be strictly Bond episodes dealing with however many films you get to at the time. And, yeah. So hopefully you guys look forward to those, and then we'll definitely be looking forward and reviewing No Time to Die when it is released. Because that is a very anticipated film. So, I think, after getting all that, I think we have a pretty good idea of... Where do you stand with film? What which films do you personally like? I mean, it's 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 no one's job or no one's right to pass judgment on anyone's top lists of any year of any decade or period. Just or it doesn't matter. It's just if you can get something out of it, that's fine. Honestly, there's no reason to hate or or uh, you know if you don't if you don't like that film. You don't like it. That's fine. That's okay. Then and it's okay does. not to like it. So someone does. Who cares? You know, our taste is different. It can be different, and that's okay. I like so. cats. Sue me. You do like cats, and Whatever. I I do not. So, <laughs> but do go. I like I like Les Mis, and well, where are you on that one? I, so you I'm indifferent. And, you know. <laughs> so. But that and that is something you know, that's in it in and of itself something different because that is. Not just a movie, but that is a genre of a movie musical. Oh yes, which is so completely different. Um, which so it's totally different. We'll get into that also. I mean, we could so. review Rodgers and Hammerstein films. Oh my goodness, you want to watch The King and I again? Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> See, I and do I love not, The King and I. I do not want to watch The King and I again. I would rather <laughs> watch Hairspray with, with Nikki Blonsky and. Uh, 
Christopher Walken, John Travolta in a fat suit. Oh, come on. No State Fair. No South State Pacific. Fair was actually okay. <laughs> State Fair is fine. Um, it's just, South Pacific is fine. <laughs> Whatever the king and I was, you could and I not just, do. <laughs> I, I can't. And whatever, etc., etc. It's just, it's... Well, thank you for quoting him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that's a whole thing in itself. Like I said, there's plenty of subjects. There's plenty of genres, subgenres, topics, franchises, films, questions, opinions that we can go into and debates that we can go into uh, for hours. Oh, for sure. For hours and hours. So try to do as best as we can. We're going to try to roll out as much material as we can. Uh, starting with this whole Bond collection, mm-hmm. and I'll try and post out a couple reviews. Like I said, let me know what you guys think. We're still, this is literally the first actual episode, so mm-hmm. please let me know anything. Okay. I'm, I'm here to give you the content you guys would like to hear. And the structure of this one was a little all over the place, getting to... We're learning. We're learning right now, and... Uh, I'm I'm a recurring, so I had to get a lot of information out really quick. So well, not right. really quick. You've been here with me for a while, but still. Yeah. So. Um, if you yeah, if you want, if you even if you don't want me to talk about a movie, if you want Megan to talk about more specifically <laughs> why she liked a certain <laughs> film, by all means, I'll be happy to tell you why me, I liked. Let something. me know. I'll track her. <laughs> I'll track her down, and we'll we'll get that discussion going. <laughs> so, there you go. And you know me, I'm happy to debate. Um, I haven't had enough coffee in the last couple of hours, so my, my skills are a little <laughs> right now, but I'm, I'm happy to debate and discuss movies, stories, yeah. etc. You know, if you'll let me, I am more than happy to revisit the Twilight Saga for you. <laughs> that's, that's another franchise we actually can dive into. I've never seen those. I don't care to see those. Oh, um, can you see them? I, I, I want I, your opinions. For the, for the sake of this, maybe I will. But, um, it, again, it's something that is a certain time period. That was a time period that uh, tween dramas were being filmed left and right, and young adult novels were being filmed left and right. The Lionsgate had a huge market on that. But Absolutely. Um, and there was a reason it spoke to people when it came out. Right. And now, what? Same reason Fifty Shades of Grey spoke to, you know, the audience that we had reached out oh. to. So, so, another anyways, one we could get into. But just... Those, yeah. Those are more interesting to see how we've changed over time. I right. think those are very... Whereas James Bond, I think, is going to be maybe a little more subtle. I feel like those ones are more blatantly obvious because they have to do with your growth as a person over time. Right. Um, because we were teenagers when these came out and in our early 20s when these came out. And now we're... <laughs> 12 years later. So... Yeah, it's just, it'll be interesting to see how things have changed, so. Yeah. So, like we said, format's a little wonky. We're working on it. I'm going to, you know, Meg's not going to be the only voice you're going to hear. We're going to bring bringing in a lot of other guests, talking about a lot of other different uh, subjects and topics who are each going to have their own unique sort of segments uh, that go along with, with that particular person. Uh, coming up, though, we're going to have a recurring, the start of a recurring segment of classics. Like I did mention in the intro episode, we're going to be looking into films that are celebrating anniversaries this year. 
and discussing whether or not they hold up still, whether or not they are still um, worthy of being called classics. I was going to say, what makes a classic a classic? Right, and, and so. we'll, that'll spark up that debate of what makes a classic a classic, and what about it? What made and this a classic and something else did not? It, did it start then? Did it develop over time? You know, and the, just the careers of these actors, of these directors, filmmakers. Um, so we'll get into that. Just a sneak peek on that to tease. Uh, the first film in that series is going to be Color Purple. 1985, I believe, Steven Spielberg film. So that's going to be discussed. So hopefully you guys look out for that coming out real soon. So, yeah. Thank you for bearing with us through this one. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lengthy one, but... It was lengthy. I mean, just because we had to go through your list of films. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you guys care to hear my list, then I will post them. Uh, which, by the way, we are on Instagram and Facebook. So search both of them. It's a Morning Light Review. Search that. You'll find me there. If you want me to post, like I said, my top list, I'll, I'll find a way to put that up there. We can get some discussion going on those uh, fronts. If not, I'd be happy to make an episode on those as well. So this is all like I always say. Keep mentioning. It's all based on what you guys think, what you guys want me to hear, or what you guys want me to talk about. Sorry. And we'll go from there. We're going to change the show as much as you guys want it to be changed. So. This is a work in progress. So. It's always going to be a work in progress. We're learning. So. It's going to be... Fun, a fun journey regardless. So, with that being said, thank you guys again for those who have followed and for those who will follow. I appreciate it. Leave comments. Don't be afraid. Talk to me. <laughs> I mean, I'm shy, but I'm not that shy. So, especially when it comes to film, I can go on and on for that. So, please reach out, and I will get back to you eventually. No, I'll get back to you. I'll get back, to, get you back to you. I'll get back to you. So, we'll make it happen. Maybe you'll be on the show. Who knows? I'm not a complete stranger. Um, so Leave suggestions, though, honestly. Yeah. So. If you guys can't make it to the show, leave a suggestion, and, and I'll talk about it. Or we'll make something happen. That's the point. We'll make something happen. If you want to be on this, you'll be on it. If you don't want to be on it, then I'll talk about it for you. So I guess that wraps it up for today. Yeah. I don't It'll know. be there. You'll see us when you see us. But. It'll be there. Right. So please okay. subscribe. Please follow. Please like. Please share. Please talk, and please continue to go to the movies. So, that being said, we are out for the day and the night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, and we will be here next time for your listening pleasure. Once again, it's Adrian, Megan, Morning Light Review. Thank you very much. Right. Bye.